as you get higher, you see more and more. And as I was preparing this passage, I felt the Lord saying, how keen are you on having good perspective? How keen are you on having good perspective? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit in relation to our talk. But first, a very silly story. This is probably one that you've heard before, seen on social media. Um, A man gets on the train having bought a bag of cookies. He sits down opposite a man. And, um, you know, a few moments later, after reading his paper, he glances at the cookies that are on the table and sees that the cookies have been opened by this other man. And he is putting his hand into the cookies and is beginning to eat the first cookie. Being British, he doesn't do anything. He just ignores it. But inside, he's getting a bit cross about the fact that there's blatant stealing happening right in front of him. So, after a while, rather indignantly, he swings the packet round to face himself, puts his hand in, and takes the second cookie. To his utter shock, a few minutes later, the packet is spun back round, and the man opposite him takes the third cookie out and begins to eat it. This continues until all eight cookies are gone. The man is sat there, fuming inside. How dare somebody steal his cookies so blatantly right in front of him? But again, being British, he says nothing and just looks cross. A moment or so later, the man gets up and leaves the train and gets off at the next stop. His stop comes up. He turns, picks up his jacket to get off the train, and underneath his jacket is his packet of cookies. Suddenly, his perspective is entirely changed. He had absolutely no right to be fuming and cross with his fellow passenger, who all the time he thought was stealing from him, when in fact he had been stealing from him. Perspective. It's a funny thing, isn't it? And as we learn more, as we grow more, as we gain wisdom and age, our perspective enlargens and changes. So how important today is good perspective for you? See, as I've been praying, I think this morning God just wants to say to us that he loves us very much. And actually, he'd like to call us and woo us to a place where we have more of his perspective over life. So here we are in the book of Samuel. Now, in chapter 7 last week, we looked at Samuel's leadership, and Samuel's leadership was was really incredibly good in chapter 7. At Mizpah, he's brought together all of the people of God. He's led them in an act of repentance that spurred a revival. The people have turned back towards God, and instead of relying on their own strategies, they've cried out to God. They've seen God come and just speak a word that booms from the sky and terrifies their threatening enemy and sends the enemy away. God responds to their prayer and fights their battle for them. 
Chapter 7 ends with a sort of glorious sense under Samuel's leadership. Israel is safe and it's at peace. It's a blissful, tiny moment in history. And you know, don't you, those, those type of, of leaders or people who just when they're around, you kind of feel better about things. There's something about their character, their steady godly wisdom over the ages, which helps everybody else to flourish. They're like the big, strong oak trees under which many things can come and rest and have shelter. Samuel was at that stage of his life and offering that level of leadership. But now in chapter 8, things begin to change somewhat for Israel. There has been a cry before for a king. Uh, This was when Gideon had triumphed over the Midianites in the book of Judges. But in Judges chapter 8, he says this to them. He says, no, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. But if you look closely at Samuel's chapter 8 to 12 and the end of Judges, there's this sort of rippling kind of discontentment. There's different opinions going on as to whether a king is needed or not. And here we find the fact that they want, they really want a king. Now, God does give them a king. But there's no escaping the fact that it's God himself who appoints him and that ultimately nothing, even the very best of kings, will ever be a satisfying substitute for the rule of God. If you wanted it were one summary sentence for this passage, it's that nothing will ever be a satisfactory substitute for the rule of God of God. And yet he does allow Israel the king they want. It's an interesting thing today, isn't it, that uh, many people walk around with the idea that true freedom is one when there are no limitations at all. Basically, to be truly free means nobody else, nothing else is allowed to put any limit on me whatsoever. Whereas the Bible gives us a sort of very different uh, opinion to that. The Bible says true freedom comes actually under some limitations, but those limitations are set not by humans, but by a loving and almighty God, an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And actually it calls us to align ourselves, to live under his limitations. And that as we do so, we'll actually gain greater freedom than we've ever experienced before. And some of us, we've found that, haven't we? When we first became a Christian and we're following God, yes, some of the things God requires of us might be hard, but then we got to experience this joy and peace and love of God, which is so incredible that we actually end up feeling way more free than we ever felt before. Because God's ways for us are so good. As we come up to uh, Lent before too long, um, we're going to be looking together as a church at some habits, habits that 
to some extent will bring a little bit of limitation on us, but that will ultimately help us live much freer lives. And I'd love you to come along to the Lent course this year and explore that together. So what I want to talk about today is our characters. We're going to look at Samuel, we're going to look at the people, and we're going to look at God. And I'm just going to say that Samuel has really, really good perspective and really terrible perspective. So when Samuel's looking at his own children, his perspective is like this, about here. When he is focused on God's plan for the nation, his perspective is more like up here. So within one really godly man, we see him both at times having amazing perspective and other moments having quite poor perspective which is why we always all of us need calling up lifting up to have God's perspective over our lives so here's where Samuel goes Um, when it comes to his own children his perspective is poor it's pretty rubbish and uh, like all parents he is wired to love and protect his children and that's the way it absolutely should be but when we lose sight of God's perspective and we focus in on our own children so much we encounter all kinds of problems and issues because our children are never perfect The Bible has an awful lot to say about us really loving and caring for our kids. Those of you who are parents, that's a really, really important role. But we aren't called to put our children on the top of the pile. We aren't called to appoint them beyond where God wants them to be. We aren't called to overprivilege them or be blind to their character defaults and so here we find in Samuel this awful situation in the first few verses where Samuel basically does exactly what Eli the priest had done before him and takes his messed up uh, horrible stealing sons and appoints them to be judges It's an awful situation. And because of it, the whole story begins to unravel because the people of God go to him and go, what are you doing? We don't want these crazy, not very good people to be our judges. We'd rather have a king. But they're not meant to have a king. They're meant to let God rule them. And it all kind of gets all messy and messed up. And it's because Samuel's perspective is not in line with God's. It's just low down. He's looking flat before him. On the other hand, though, in the passage, we do see Samuel, who has a lot of God's perspective in him. And uh, we see that he's very, very wise in calling the people um, and warning them about their desire for a king. In verses 10 to 17, God speaks through Samuel to warn the people. They're quite a challenging set of verses. And if you look at them, he's sort of saying, you know, guys, if you have a king, the king's going to tax you. 
the king is going to take from you. You are, in a sense, going to become slaves to that king. You're going to lose your autonomy. You're going to lose your freedom. You're not going to gain it. You're going to lose it. And in this sense, Samuel was absolutely right. He knew that God's people was meant to be a distinctive people. They weren't meant to be like all the other nations around them. They were meant to cry out to God and let God appoint leaders as was fitting, as they had character to lead over them. But they weren't to have a king other than the Lord Almighty himself. And Samuel has this vision. He has this high, God-overarching perspective. And as is true of most leaders, he also has to live with the frustration of that because he has it and his people have lost sight of it. And it's really tough. And then it gets even worse for Samuel because God says to Samuel, do you know what, Samuel? I'm actually going to let the people have their way. And you're going to have to go and appoint a king. And so even though he has this great perspective, this great vision, this great godly perspective of how the nation should be, he has to obey God nonetheless and do something slightly curveball, as it were. Leadership can sometimes be a lonely and challenging thing. Then we get um, the people. Now, the people have, in some senses, they get their high perspective. This is dangerous, isn't it? But they have their high perspective when basically they realize that Samuel's sons are going to be terrible leaders. And that is terrible. And actually, they, they get something of God's perspective here because they realize their leaders should reflect the character of God. But what happens is they come back down and go low and instead of looking up to God they look sideways and as they look to the side they do the thing we all do from time to time they compare themselves to other people and as soon as we start comparing ourselves to other people we lose perspective our perspective comes narrow inward we become often jealous, distracted, and they compare themselves to the other nations. Well, they've got a king. Looks all right for them over there. Oh, and they've got a king. We'd like a king too, please. And they lose their calling. They lose the godly perspective, and they have a low perspective and not a good perspective. So there you see God's people wrestling with different elements of sometimes gaining his perspective and at other times losing sight of it. And don't you know it's true, folks? And we do that comparison thing. We all do it from time to time, don't we? And as soon as we do it, it's a terrible thing because it only ends up leaving us dissatisfied, depressed, and unsure of ourselves. And that's what happens to God's people. They're dissatisfied, depressed, and unsure of themselves. So give us a king so we can find our identity in that and have a king, just like the other nations. It's all right, just like the Joneses down the road. Give us a king, please. And here, finally, we come to God. 
God is really present in this passage today. He's speaking really constantly to Samuel. Of course, God is perspective itself. God is everything. He knows everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He holds time in his hands. He flung the stars into space. He knows what only he can know and shares only what he wills to share. And in the midst of what is sometimes swirling chaos to us as we walk through our lives here on earth, we can glance upwards to a sovereign God who will right all wrongs and who holds the entire history in his hands. He is the king. He is the sovereign king. And when we grasp hold of that, it's so beautiful because we can rest back into his sovereignty. And it's that that has helped believers down the ages cope with sometimes the most horrendous suffering, most difficult of circumstances because they've been able to hold on to the fact that they know he will right every wrong. They know that he has got history in his hands, and they know that this is not all that there is. And so God, firstly, in this passage today, comforts Samuel. He says, Samuel, don't worry, mate. It's not you that they're rejecting, it's me. They've got distracted. They've lost sight of my kingship. And he does this very unusual thing that God doesn't often or always do, but he decides very graciously to adapt his purposes and allows Israel the king. Yes, he warns the people about it in verses 10 to 17, but because he's so loving and so powerful... He adapts his plan and almost immediately redeems the very idea of kingship. And so that throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we begin to understand God as the true king. He incorporates the idea of kingship into a revelation of himself to Israel. He is the ultimate king above all kings. And so here in this passage, the people have yet again rejected God's rule. They've asked for a king, and yet there is no doubt that it's God who's going to appoint this king, and that this human king is only allowed in so much as God allows him. God remains unshaken even when we fail. He remains consistently faithful to his people, even bending as he does towards their will but never allowing us to go off course so much that we get completely derailed. And so I finish today by asking you, I wonder how important perspective is to you. We see in the passage where when they have godly perspective, it's helped them, and when they haven't, they kind of get sidetracked and off course. And I wonder if you'll join me this week in praying for God's perspective over your life and over this nation. That we might lean on our God 
who's far above this not very tall ladder (laughs) in his perspective, that he is perspective itself. And so let's pray.